Hi guys, welcome to Bombshells and Blue Shells, the podcast spin-off of the website bombshellsandblueshells.com. I'm Alex. And I'm Alex. And today we have a research episode. I did research. I, I did not do research. <laughs> I fell asleep during some research. You were present I, in I body. existed at the time research was being you done. did exist during my research. Um, we, the cinema near us does kind of like special events and stuff like that. And we booked ourselves in to go and watch Audition. We did. We did. Because um, you'd never seen it, but I had. I have not seen Audition, I have to say. And uh, nor did we see Audition that night either. Shh, don't tell the people oh, that. Don't, don't tell the people that. <laughs> but that, um, that kind of special screening of Audition led to a remembrance and rekindling of fondness for the Tartan Asia Extreme line of DVDs. T-A-E. T-A-E, as only us are branding it. <laughs> just happened. Who um, just decided this. So, it's... Obviously, it was a kind of branding movement, and it got me thinking about the introduction of sort of Asian cinema into kind of the UK and into America and things and how that took off. So I did a little bit of research on just Tartan films in general because Tartan is a distribution company that was set up in 1984. Uh, it was set up by Hamish McAlpine and it merged with Metro in 1991, becoming Metro Tartan, which kind of gave it this major art house sort of art film um, distribution. So anything a little bit weird kind of came through them. It reverted back to just being Tartan film in 2003 and distributed kind of numerous types of film. So at this point, it was kind of lots of different types of kind of indie art house or foreign film. So it has like the Ingrid uh, Ingrid Berman collection, indie films such as The Cooler and Secretary. Have you seen Secretary? I have not seen either of those, but I feel like we've talked about Secretary. Maggie Gyllenhaal, bit of like a... That's why I think we were talking about it. I think it was like a, if you, if you're a little bit too... I don't know, swanky for Fifty Shades of Grey, secretary. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like Fifty Shades before that. It's Yeah, it's a little oh. bit of a... Oh, let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. Um, but they also, like, their biggest success was some uh, was Super Size Me. Of course. McDonald's man. The McDonald's man who wanted to prove that McDonald's bad. And it turns out... McDonald's bad. Yeah, there was a few like documentaries that came out after it where they were like, I did it and it wasn't that bad. So there's been some conjecture on how intense the uh, actual things are. But I think even before Super Size Me, we all kind of knew that if you eat three meals a day, seven days how a week they, from Mackey's. Have they done a spin off of it now where it's Super High Me? Super High Me is Since another like one. The yeah. of kind of. The weed legality in America, like FDA documentaries. Yeah. I'm sure they've done one. <laughs> they now. did. I've not um, watched it. I think it, it might be interesting to watch. I saw a few things on it. Um, I would enjoy watching it, and I, I'm pretty sure his health benefits were quite substantial. 
Yeah, I think it was. I think that's what I was reading. I'm sure it was... That he was actually... Had less pain and something mm. else. The uh, his what is it? It's not anxiety. Do you have anxiety or depression mm, or something? Maybe it was. I'm yeah. sure it was one of those silly videos we've been watching, and it was like, it, I just remember something about it's not Sats. What what big test is? Oh yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was. It was intelligence went up, wasn't it? Yeah, like he scored better on tests. It's SAT, <laughs> which... SATs, isn't it? Is it Sats? Yeah, they call them SATs over I, there I, where I they do know. like. Punch marking through <laughs> the dotty lines. Dotty lines. <laughs> um, but yeah, and they also did um, capturing the freedmen. So those are some other documentary kind of things. Never heard of it. Uh, Primer. Brilliant film. Primer, the confusing ball of clusterfuck that that is. It's amazing, but adult Donny Darko. <sighs> yeah, Even Donnie... adulter. I was gonna Darko. say adulter. <laughs> adulter, but no adultery. But no adultery. But yeah, yeah that. Very cool. Very mathematical, science-based. Some sort of mathematical equation that reverts to the fact that he is a time traveller. Yeah. something. But that was a Tartan DVD release, which just, that kind of, you know, secretary, primer, super size If you have not me. seen primer, if you have not seen it, just go out and buy it. It's probably like a quid at your DVD shop. Yeah. Maybe. It definitely doesn't have a Blu-ray. Um, but it might no. it might be even less than a quid, fifty p. fifty p bargain. I mean, I, I went straight for DVD as if that's where you're gonna go. It's probably on some sort of streaming I service. Don't I don't know guess. if it would be. I I'm gonna have a look up. Amazon that. Prime. Yeah, Amazon, I imagine it you would could be buy it Prime. Yeah. Well, well. That's not called Amazon. You can buy it. Amazon, you can buy it Prime. Amazon.com. Um, but probably. yeah, I think. The fact that it's got titles like that kind of tells you what Tartan was about. It was about bringing something different to the market, really. Um, unfortunately, by June 2008, the distribution company had gone into administration mm. and it sold off its catalogue to Palisades Media Group and became Palisades Tartan. Uh, so, again, lots of, like, merging of this distribution company. So, they didn't own, they didn't create the films, they weren't the companies behind it, but they were basically the ones that packaged it into a DVD and sold it to a global market. They sold it to the UK and American market. So, bringing um, Eastern cinema to the West is what they did. I'm going to question whether it's Palisades or Palisades. It could be Palisades. I mean... I'm going to throw out Palisades as the correct answer. Palisades? That's what I'm going to go with. So, full disclosure on this episode, it's, it's going to be Alex Butcher's The Names of Everything. Yeah. I'm just going to cock up every name that I say. I'm going to call Guardians Guardians. <laughs> I'm going to slap you in the Duodenum. <laughs> so, I found a little quote because um, McAlpine, Hamish McAlpine, who uh, kind of founded this company was quite well known within the film industry and this is a guardian quote and i'll link to the um, article that i got this from so eccentric and flamboyant mcalpine was an adventurous distributor with a taste that ranged from the best u.s independent cinema to turn of the century pornography the good old naughty days to films about serial killers ed gain and bundy and classic European art house cinema. Tartan has released far more Ingmar Bergen titles that, on DVD than any Swedish distributor. 
He championed free speech, constantly jousting with the BBFC over ratings for films such as The Pornographer and The Isle. He was pioneering in introducing British cinema goers to the works of Asian directors like Park Chan-wook, Wong Kar-wai and Kim Ki-duk. So he was a massive kind of advocate of all these different different types of films, different languages of films and things being more readily available in the UK. And obviously 1984 to like 2008, we weren't as much in the streaming community. Like you still bought physical media. Were we in the streaming community in 2008? Was, was, next, was it Love Film? Was like Love Film where they sent you DVDs. So I think Blockbuster and stuff had gone by then. I don't even, I don't, I never partook in love film. Is that the one pre, precursor to Netflix? It's the precursor to Netflix where you still had a list of things and you could put DVD them in order and they mail. would, yeah, they would mail you DVDs. Wow. So it, you, it was uh, introverted first? blockbuster. You didn't actually have to go and speak to the person and admit what DVDs you wanted from them. Wow. So. That's the second, oh, in, what's it? <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Third. Owen Wilson in it. Owen Wilson, that's the guy. <laughs> have we have we done any research on Primer on the Amazon you can buy yeah, it now? Uh, you should not search for Primer in Amazon DVDs because most of it is porn. Apparently. Or search for Primer, no one will know you're looking <laughs> for porn. Yeah, you've got the perfect excuse. <laughs> there are three links to an unavailable. Shane Carruth Primer DVD. Okay. And then the rest is porn. <laughs> so, I was so disappointed by my so lack of Primer I, yeah, that I watched some porn. I just bought it. <laughs> but the area of Tartan that I wanted to kind of discuss, because you don't necessarily think of it, like I think I was a teen when a lot of these came out and you'd still go to HMV and these were like the risky DVDs, like the... You've tried all the slashes that were going on at the time and the torture porn and all that kind of stuff. And this was something a bit different. So it's clearly kind of really well known for its involvement with Asian films, specifically kind of East and Southeast Asia, like mostly as a category. Um, McAlpine is credited with championing this kind of Asian horror and pioneered the Tartan Asia Extreme video line. And that launched in 2001 and was kind of the first of its kind, like the first distribution DVD company sort of thing um, that focused primarily on that. Obviously, you've got things like Arrow, Vernicker Syndrome that do horror and remaster horror and things. But these guys were one of the first to kind of go, let's look further afield to East and Southeast Asia. Yeah, I think it opened the doors to for a lot of Westerners to... Uh, Eastern films, mm. whether that was extreme or not. Yeah, because they have like the there's Tartan Asia and there's Tartan Asia Extreme, mm. and obviously that focused in more on not just horror. This is, I think, I might be jumping. I've 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 got research and pages and things, and I might be jumping a little bit ahead. Well, I guess you're gonna. You're gonna. I'm gonna jump ahead. But from watching a few of them, it, it's not... Extreme doesn't mean be prepared to shake your pants. Or gore. Or gore, or it just kind of... It means anything that maybe is 
thought-provoking or um, challenging or kind of can make you a little bit uncomfortable and uneasy is what I found with some of these films. Like, I've not been scared, but I've been kind of, yeah, <laughs> if that's yeah, an emotion. Yeah, and probably for similar reasons throughout a lot of these, there's, there's definitely some repeating themes mm. throughout a lot of these franchises or individual films that I didn't realise if you watch them separately in big spaces between big spaces yeah. in between to watching them back to back as we have, yeah. yeah. Quite a lot of repeating themes. Yeah, one which of, we will get on. One of which I will just keep yelling. Um but some of the titles that they've kind of brought that have been the biggest hitters have been like Japanese films, so the Ringu series, Audition, um, and Battle Royale. Battle Royale. We, we love the Battle Royale. <laughs> South Korean films, so The Isle, um, Old Boy, and A Tale of Two Sisters. Hong Kong films, so Hard Boiled, and the Infernal Affairs series. So we didn't really get round to any of those. We, we kind didn't of... get round to either of those, did no. we? No. I imagine um, Hard Boiled is about an egg. <laughs> or it could be about that time that you left the egg in the pan. Oh my god, and the one water, time. The water boiled to nothing and the egg literally flung itself out of the pan, exploded midair, and terrified as well. This is all conjecture because we were not in the kitchen when this egg exploded. It was on the floor. <laughs> Pan was burned. The cats could have done something. Of course, it was. <laughs> no, hard boiled, darling, is in like PI detectives. Hard boiled supposed... detective. Oh right, right. I, I don't get that reference. Film noir and pulp fictions and things is that like what's that. What's called hard boiled. Hard boiled. Right. Um, filmy things. And then <laughs> filmy things. And then uh, also films from Thailand, so Bangkok Dangerous and The Eye. Oh, yeah, Nicolas Cage and Jennifer Alba. <laughs> Jessica Alba. No, no. Uh, the Thai ones. <laughs> we'll get to that later as well. Um, so, Thai and Asia Extreme became its own brand that was introducing us to these different films. So, like I said, the Ringu franchise was huge. So, Ring, um, Ring 2, Ring 0, and then uh, Spiral and 3 uh, Sadoko. Sadako. Sadako. See, butchering. Three Sadako films that went under Tartan Asia Extreme, they were separate, but that franchise itself um, is massive. And then things like the Vengeance trilogy. So, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, and Lady Vengeance. Oh, Lady Vengeance. We have not watched that, but we got it down from the shelf yesterday. We got it down from the shelf, but then two films in one night with subtitles was going to make my head explode. Oh, three. Didn't we watch two? Three. Bugger, yeah. I watched Bangkok yeah. Haunted as well, didn't I? Um, so, the brand itself kind of covers a big range of things. So, things like Hard Boiled and The Infernal Affairs are much more, like I said, pulpy crime kind of things. And there was a few of them it's that we watched... Kind of... Procedural? Yeah, like Ish. police and kind of um, investigative, like investigative instead of, so more along the lines of crime was thriller. Tell me something that was like that? Tell me something. Like very procedural. Yeah, very much kind of investigating a crime yeah. instead of focusing on the horror and things. 
like you were saying before, we did notice that there was a lot of kind of repeated themes or motifs or just styles. Oh, holy crap. I didn't realise you'd researched that bit. I, I just researched like, that bit. I mean, like intelligently bringing things what? up before the you know, solid Well, links, solid that, that's your point. There's your yeah. point. So a lot of the themes throughout these films involve like folklore, ghost stories, uh, honour, allegiance, obviously mainstays of kind of Eastern lifestyle and culture. Yeah. Um, breakdown of kind of family and kind of the individual when dealing with guilt, jealousy and dishonour. Mainly with kind of in- inexplicable uh, supernatural occurrences that, that happen for it also mm. linked to the kind of ghost story aspects um, a lot of kind of physiological forms of terror and dread uh, repeated throughout the series series that's definitely a word Siri. Siri. not Siri yeah. Siri. <laughs> and just generally kind of empty spaces mm. Well, that's, there's a lot of, like, home-based horror and a lot of it is kind of, like you say, in that past guilt coming back in the form of a ghost through the folklore and things like that in the form of a spirit. Um, and they kind of... They don't do the amped-up close-ups. Like, a lot of it, there'll just be something happening in the corner of a room. So, like, especially a tale of sisters and things. Yeah. yeah. It's like there's always something in the background. Like, um... Michael Flanagan. Oh yeah, Haunting of Hill House. It, you can look and there's just something there that wants to draw your attention to it. And they don't they don't need the screechy staccato sort of violins and things to make us nervous. They'll just pop it there and then when you notice it, you, you're you like, shit, how long's that been there? Brilliant. That's, that's the best way it could be. Mm. A lot, yes, it's in the sound. If you turn the sound off in a horror film, it mainly... Reduces the impact of any of the scares. Yeah. Cover your ears, not your eyes. But I think a lot of these Tartan Asia extreme kind of films don't necessarily rely on that at all. And they leave a lot to your imagination. And the fact mm. that you are embedded in the characters as well makes the shocking scenes or the suggested shocking scenes a lot yeah. more impactful. Like, there is a lot that I would classify as kind of slow burners. Like, they take their time getting to the explicit horror elements and things because they invest you a lot more. And I think, like you were saying, with the kind of folklore and ghost stories and things, the different cultural and religious aspects of um, kind of the, the Eastern world and things like that are so different to us and so kind of... They, they don't just so like the spiritual and things like that it doesn't just mean something bad so often like if we have demons and ghosts and ghouls in a British or American film it's because they're evil they're benevolent spirits whereas I feel like the grudge was actually a positive spirit at one point in some of the one of the series elements yeah, it wasn't seen to be a vengeful spirit. It's not trying to hurt. There's yeah. spirits that are trying to protect from other bad spirits and things, and there's spirits that are simply there as a reminder of the past. Because obviously, a lot of, um, not to go too far. I did. I did some research and I fell down some rabbit holes and things. But obviously, like Japan, kind of, especially dealing with post World War Two and their kind of 
um, actions during that and the actions taken against them that made them both villain and victim at the same time, which caused such a kind of split dynamic of how they saw themselves as a culture. And then, as with a lot of kind of Eastern um, areas, you can take a train from one area where it looks like Times Square with giant billboards and they're the most advanced, you know, technology mm. in the world, take a short train journey and you're in the most rural temple. And it's that clashing of the two, that fear of the two, the past and the future combining. And I think that's also why... So the first one that we're going to mention in a second, I think that's why The Ring is about, like, infected technology. Old okay. ghost infecting new thing. Like, it's a videotape virus. It is. <clears throat> I also didn't know, this is off topic, because <laughs> it's not a Tartanasia, and I wanted it to be because we'd watched it, but Pulse that we watched with... Yes, um, um, Good Place Lady. Yep, cannot remember her name. Uh, she's blonde. She's blonde. She's got a face. She does have a face. Okay, we'll come back to that, but yeah, Pulse that we watched Elsa? is... Elsa? No, that's Frozen. <laughs> Is she blonde? She's also a blonde. She's got a face. The I was close. Kristen Bell. Bell. Kirsten Bell. Um, she, Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. And she plays Anna in Frozen. So you're kind of linking things that are right together. Um, Nailed it. But, back to point, uh, Pulse is also a remake of an Asian film. So is this playing the game of guess which one on the list it is? No, because it's not a Tartan Asia extreme. Oh, okay. It's it wasn't distributed by them, so I didn't was put it, it on. Was also called Pulse. It was also called Pulse. So uh, I feel like we now it. need to watch that one because apparently it's it. much better. But I quite enjoyed the American one. But we'll also get to the fun of <laughs> American remakes <laughs> versus American remake tennis. Yeah. So top trumps. Top trumps. Top trumps. Better than tennis. Yeah, otherwise we're just batting them back and forth to each other, yeah. making grunty noises, which I don't think is great for an audio medium. No, have you ever played fart tennis? That would be really oh, good. Oh, no. That would be really good on audio. No. Tone fucking lowered. <laughs> um, so I did the research on it. We had a little look into kind of what Tartan Asia Extreme put out. And some of them we had on the shelf. We noticed that we did have quite a few quite of their titles. So we kind of picked a few from the shelves that we could get through because, oh, it sounds like such a sad excuse, but seriously, subtitle films can be hard work. It's not like you can throw them on while you're doing other things. So you've got to pay attention. And I really can't do dubbing. It, it, it doesn't sit well with me. I just don't like... Dub. I do not like the dubs. Um, but we picked out a few that either we'd watched recently for this purpose or that we'd seen before. And it's not like we're not going to review into them too much, but I just wanted to discuss some of the kind of bigger titles from Tartan Asia Extreme. Um, so I have ordered them by year. I, I, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have. Yeah, I have. Oh, wow. So I, I was trying to figure out <laughs> what the logic was behind this system. How had I put them together? Uh, I went chronological. Chronological by first in franchise. Chronological by first in franchise. Because awesome. I thought I'm not going to come back to the ring constantly. But our first one is the Ringu franchise uh, with Ringu 1 coming out in 1998. This was directed by Hideo Nakata and is a Japanese film. 
So this yes. was distributed by Tartan Asia. Um, obviously, this is one of their big, major, major ones. So a quick synopsis for anyone who is not familiar with Ringu. Investigating the inexplicable near-simultaneous deaths of her young niece and three teenage friends, reporter Asakawa learns of a story about a supernaturally cast videotape circulating among school kids. As soon as anyone has watched the tape, allegedly recorded by a mistake from a dead TV channel, the telephone rings and the viewer has exactly one week to live. That's our amazing impression. Um, (laughs) I have not seen the sequels to this. I think I've seen the American sequels. Oh, I've definitely seen the American sequels. I do not remember seeing Ringo 2. No, or Ringo Ringo 0. So Ringo Ringo 0, I think, had a colon birthday. Um, Uh. (laughs) So... Oh. I assume it's a prequel sequel. 365 days for <laughs> seven days. 342 days? No, 372 days. Mm. <laughs> this is why you know do count brick things. This is why I'm not a brick counter. You do teachy thing, wordy box. Wordy box. I do county brick things. Don't teach maths. I have to box. tell the students this constantly. Ah, this is why I don't teach maths. Um, yeah. Really messed up on that one. But <laughs> back to this. Um, I ha- I remember I have read, and it was a long time ago, I think I was maybe about 13, 14, when I read The the Ring and Spiral, the, the books. Um, I remember really enjoying them. I remember something about Samara. Samara. It, well, I think that's the American name. It is the American name, isn't it? Um. Why can't I remember the uh, Japanese name? I'm just going to call her Samara for now because I feel like I'll butcher that less. Sakako? Yes, it is Sadako. Because I said that's what I butchered earlier. Is it? Yeah. It's in the previous... No fucking way. Yeah, the Sadako films. Fucking yes. So, Sadako, I remember there being an element of the story where I'm pretty sure she was a hermaphrodite. And that's why, or part of the reason that she was thrown into the well. It was a long time ago, and I don't think they really touch upon this in the films, but I do feel like I remember that being part of the the book. Is it Koji something? Sabako. Yeah. You've confirmed this already, darling. I thought you were looking up the book. Oh, no, I don't read Okay. I didn't know I could um, read until you wrote all this. And, like, <laughs> and I read it. Look, Marla can read. Um, but I do, I, I remember really enjoying the books. And they did kind of bring more to the world of the film when I then started thinking about the films. But I think this is, um, if not the kind of starting ground for it, one of the ones that made famous the creepy, creaky moving girl with the long black hair who makes weird noises. See, that's grudge. I know it is. I know it is. I know. I know. I was just doing creaky noises. But this was... <laughs> to highlight the fact that there were creaky noises in Japanese films. There is, often. And the dark-haired ghost girl is a big, big part of these this kind of branding of film and things. Um, 
Do you remember watching this? The original version? I think I watched it after the American remake, mm. which made it a lot more difficult to watch, I think, just because the American lot, remake is a lot more accessible. It was a higher budget and Much things like that budget. as well, but I think... But I enjoyed it. It's uh, definitely, I think, got a lot more meaning behind it. Yeah. It would be the way I would approach it. I think so. I think it's that kind what of... More? Relatable or, or feel? There's What's the word I'm looking for? Empathy? Yes, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think that comes from the way the, the Japanese treat ghosts and ghost stories. Like, she's not just something to be feared, she is something to be understood, and there's more to it and things. But I think they treat them differently to us they're not just oogie boogies you know there's a deeper mm. meaning behind any spirit be it vengeful or non-vengeful yeah um but i do think that was that was such a big kind of mainstay in introducing uh western audience to eastern films by bringing the kind of ring franchise in with the creepy gal and the videotape and the kind of Again, that things from the past, discrepancies and misdeeds from the past coming back to haunt those in the future or the present, however you want to look at it. Yeah, the, the, the cursed object or the cursed building. Yeah, yeah, the, the thing that brings something else with it. And I just, such a simple technique. What, um, what would the Western equivalent of that be? Like a Indian burial ground type film? Kind of, but I still think because you've the got to rectify the, something that was upset. Mm, but I think the problem with that is this isn't the Japanese rectifying something that was upset because of them. Yeah, you know, I think the the whole Indian burial ground trope, which has thankfully been removed from a lot of things recently, yeah. and it's not as overused and things. I'm looking at you, Mister Kim. Um, oh yeah, I was literally about <laughs> to say um, that one that we watched the other day with the cat in it. Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Terrible film. Shining. All those things. Um, but this, yeah, we don't have that as much because we don't have necessarily. It it would almost be like I don't know, very gothic, bringing a Victorian painting into the house and being haunted by, you know, children. Mm-hmm. No, that's eternal life. No, and stuff. I'm I trying think... to think of it a Western equivalent. I mean, I the only one I can think of is really like Del Toro. It. Yeah, and that's to do with yeah the atrocities committed to the Spanish people and that coming back to haunt the present. So yeah. like, um, Santi in the Devil's Backbone and things coming yeah. back to wreak revenge on the man that's trying to hurt the children and, and Issa stuff. Lopez. Mm. Yeah, and Issa Lopez and things like that. But I can't think of anything... British. British or or Dead Man's Shoes, would you say that, almost? It's not so much the ghost of the past, though. But I think that is the closest equivalent of like something coming back to haunt us or to haunt the people because... It's it's very literal. Yeah, and I think that's because we don't have that same folklore, spiritual kind of thing. We have ghost stories, but that's not... It's not yeah. the, from the same cultural region, is it? True. Um, 
But yeah, my, my dum-dum comment to follow that is just, I like the, the tape montage. <laughs> yep, the tape montage is good. I just think it, it, it's simple. On the rare occasion, I went deeper. You did. Shine me up now. Let's stop this podcast. Boom. I won't be smart one. Film <laughs> shit. <laughs> but yeah, just the kind of the simplicity of taking just images, some normal, some disturbing, some too quick to even see what's really going on, and turning them into this virus, this kind of visually um, infected virus, is, I thought that was quite an interesting thing. I'm sure it's not the first one to do that, and obviously that's something that Pulse takes on later and things as well, films like that, where it's like a viral element through technology. Mm. I really like that. So I think The Ring was a big backbone to introducing us Westerners to an Eastern film. Almost a devil's backbone. Oh, oh. a devil's backbone. And we bring it right back round. So moving on to our next film. So we're in 1999 now with Takeshi Miike's audition. Oh I wondered what the fuck you were going to sing then. <laughs> I'm fairly sure, sure that's not the tune either. It's just, I knew there was a song called that. I knew that. there was a song. Yeah. I this feel is, like it was a Prince song. Too. It was a Prince song. Boosh. This is another Japanese film. Um, recent widower uh, Shigeru Aoyama is advised by his son to find a new wife agreeing he seeks the advice of a colleague having been out of the dating scene for many years. Taking advantage of their position as a film company, they stage an audition. Interviewing a series of women, Shigaru becomes enchanted by Asami, a quiet 24-year-old woman who is immediately responsive to his charms. But soon things take a very dark and twisted turn as we find that Asami isn't what she seems to be. I mean, surprisingly, yeah, his mate, from the film company that is far too easily encouraging of this entire scenario. Yeah, yeah mate, just post an audition for a new wife. Do it all the time, mate. Do it all the time. Get loads of these women <laughs> in. Just, uh, and then just go, yeah, not even a second breath. I'll get your wife. Don't worry yeah. about it. We we'll just tell her the film fell through, but she was definitely going to be the lead. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's definitely going to happen. I mean, it, it almost takes like a, a stronger presence in the lineup. I know it's 1999, but given recent events and recent occurrences. Of mm, casting couch. Casting couch mm. type that, that did make it, it uncomfortable, on I think. Meaning. Yeah. And I think at one point while watching the film, I googled the age difference between our two uh, lead. romantic leads. And there was a solid, like, 20 years difference between them, which obviously they play upon and they acknowledge, but not in enough of a, this is skeezy way for my liking, because it's skeezy. I mean, the whole process is skeezy. Yeah. But that said, the film is, like, disturbing. Yeah. I think... It's, there's this, like we said, there's that skeezy element of you kind of going, oh, I don't agree with this, this isn't great. But at the same time, you do have this fondness for Shigeru as a character. Like, he is a nice man, and you can kind of see... He's almost like the naive, mm. kind of... 
how would I, I don't want to say depressed, but you know, he, he's looking for a new turn, isn't he? Yeah. And, you know, a new opportunity. Fulfillment through love. Yeah, exactly, and he thinks he's found that by mm. way of this casting couch process, which leads to a zooming. Leads to a zooming. A zooming. A zooming. That's what I'm going with. Okay. Be confident. All right, I'll go with it. Assuming. Um, but ultimately, um, leads to um, some pretty tricky situations. Yeah. Uh, there, there, I feel like there has to be spoilers. And like I say, this is a 1999 film, so apologies. But we go through all of this. It, it's very much kind of romance building and everything being nice. And him, you know, obviously he lost his wife. Um He's he was obviously in a relationship a with her for a long there. time. They had a, a child, and the son's encouraging it as well. Do you know, you should find a wife. Maybe not in that way, but he's encouraging it. Um, and it's not until we get to the point, really, like as we go further in, and we realise that it's like fully in the third act. Yeah, this just goes. Eh, fuck you guys, it's no batshit. Yeah, it's it's like I say, I, I can only compare it to like when I first watched Carrie. I remember sitting there and watching it for an hour and being like, when does shit happen? This is a romance. And I was just waiting and waiting. And then you get the big climax. And yeah, we kind of figure out, oh, there's a man in a bag with not enough fingers and he eats vomit and there's a tongue and then... Poor Shigeru gets tranked and he can't move. He has no leg bits at one point, right? He's who the guy in the sack. Shigeru. They she 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 uses piano wire to cut his foot off. That's it. Um, That's pretty great. And the. <laughs> which is basically just like feather. Yeah. Um, and she's putting needles into him and she's just pushing them further and further in. It'll make you never want to do um, acupuncture. Like, that that shit looks deadly and so very painful. Extreme. Uh, so, yeah, it just goes absolutely off oh, the well, we're on hill. that subject, actually. I watched The Evil Dead, the remake the other day, where, mm. where she's stabbing the guy in the eye with a needle. <gasps> yes. Also, that doesn't look like fun. No, no eye stuff. Acupuncture, just generally. Just, it's just, <laughs> unless it's it a necessary jab. And I may be missing out on something <laughs> here. But it doesn't look fun. Keep your needles to yourself. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think as, we, as I was watching it, like oh, you were Also, the, Final Destination 5. Not Asian. acupuncture thing. And he dies in a blazing inferno. With all the things sticking in his face or back or whatever. It, no, it's his face. It's his face. Just, uh, there are so many points <laughs> pointing towards acupuncture being a bad thing. Boom, point, pun. Point, pun. Crack on. <laughs> well, I was going to come back to you were saying a, a bit about, like, dream logics and things like that. I don't remember saying that. That doesn't I sound like do. something I said. So when you were saying about the themes of kind of breaking from reality when we were talking oh, earlier, at the start. about the overall theme. Oh, I did say that. Yeah, yeah I did so say that. So Audition kind of has a she lot of dream logic sequences. And after looking it up, it, it has um, 
Mike has confirmed this, but there's definitely like David Lynch inspiration here from like his kind of internalized dream sequences in his films. There's definitely that kind of Lynchian uh, inspiration there. But also, as far as what this might have inspired itself, because Azumi is kind of this, Azumi is this like badass at the end. She goes, she's so demure and so kind of feminized throughout it. And then for her just to <coughs> go on, we get to the, we get to the end point and she's got these leather gloves, this leather kind of apron on and things. And all I could think of was American Mary. Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm with you on that one. That was so... Well, Sasuke Sisters was yeah. so that. And that's this kind of, you know, this woman that takes revenge back on the men who have wronged her. It's one of those where there's a lot of kind of women wronged in these films for different circumstances and things. But um, there was definitely a big theme of kind of like... Asami being abused by her dance instructor and yep. then her relationship with men and things like that. So there's there's, there's a revenge kind of based element to it. Of There's definitely a repeating theme with the feet as well, right? Uh, the dance instructor had a mangled foot or he had stumps. Well, I think it's to do with, it to do with, with movement and dance and things yeah. like that, isn't it? But the dancing... The dance instructor, yeah, he was in a wheelchair and things. And then, obviously, she'd amputated... I think she'd amputate the feet of the guy in the bag as well and stuff. So I think it was to do with restricting them the way she'd been restricted, um, possibly. Right. But, yeah, I think that... That was one that um, you kind of do that... I'd, I'd watched it before I'd watched it uh, when I was younger... So this was one of those where I was semi-watching it and just semi-watching you. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> How's it going? What are you looking for? Our second film of 1999 was one we mentioned a little bit about in the intro. So Tell Me Something by Chang Yun-hun. And this is a Korean film. It is South Korean, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I say Korean, I mean South Korean. <laughs> The, the, that's that's all we're getting. Is that a given? Oh, oh, yeah, I think oh so, yeah. yeah, it doesn't say Kim Jong il. <laughs> Directed yeah. by, starring, written by. World champion of boxing by. <laughs> Created handbags. No, stop, we cannot do this. I am the king of the <laughs> library, Kim Jong il. Tell Me Something was one that was a bit more crime-based. In the middle of Korea's rainy season, black plastic bags filled with dismembered body parts are being found around Seoul. Seoul. Washed-up cop Cho is assigned to the case and soon discovers a link between the victims. They were all at one point lovers of museum curator Che? Yep. As Cho gets closer to her, he begins to uncover dark and dangerous secrets from Che's past. At the same time, the serial killer begins taunting the police with films of his victims' violent murders. What is in Che's past that has driven the killer to such extremes? I mean, yeah, during the description of this film, you used a word that I have have never heard before. (laughs) Never heard before. You used it in such a way that made it seem like it was normal words. It is a normal word. And uh, I wouldn't say I am the most learned of the people <laughs> in the world, but I would say I'm all right at words and shit. 
Yeah, good at words and shit. Like crossword. Never heard this word ever. So let's just get into that. What is the word? Scopophilia. Scopophilia. Still don't know what it means, and you told me what it means. Scopophilia and like voyeurism. So a, a kind of fetishized enjoyment of watching. Window of, shopping. Yeah. Kind of. There's a lot to do with how. So watching a film itself is a form of this kind of voyeurism and things. And Scopophilia goes a little bit kind of further and things with that. But it's like the safety of watching something unfold. We watch their lives and they don't get to know that we're there in the dark room watching them. Um, Which is why Breaking the Fourth Wall is such a big thing. When a film kind of acknowledges that it's a film or gives you a cheeky wink and you go, ah, you're not meant to know that I'm watching you. This is my safe space. Okay. So there's a lot like um, Rear Window and things, the Hitchcock film that's all about this voyeurism. He's stuck in a house so he simply watches other people make stories about their life from the safety of hoping, of knowing they can't see him. Yes. So, yeah? I understand now. Scopophilia. There's so much scopophilia in the world. I'm just going to use it now. I'm going to go into work tomorrow and use it. Just figure out a way. Yeah. We need windows for scopophilia. I've got a meeting tomorrow, (laughs) 10 o'clock in the morning. Don't throw that at them at Friday. On Friday at 10 a.m. meeting. I'm going to leave them in the meeting room. I'm just going to stand. Just looking through the window, scopophilifying it. Indulging in some voyeurism. Just scopophilia-ing. But I mentioned that because there's such an emphasis on kind of looking in this film. So we get CCTV and things. We're constantly looking at um, Che through security cameras and the police cameras and from a distance in a protecting way, but also kind of this voyeuristic way. Well, it's designed to be like that. I mean, it's very procedural. It's designed to be like that because ultimately you know damn well there's going to be a, chi- a twist in this. Yes. And I think I called it 10 minutes in. I've seen, you did. I've seen so much Jonathan Creek and CSI, man, <laughs> CSI and what. Boosh, nailed it. It's setting them up, setting them up for the big twist. You yeah. know where it's coming from. But ultimately, I didn't know how they were going to get there. No, I And it that was, was a really fun. good ride, I mm-hmm. think, getting through this story. There were elements of blood and guts and uh, gore but not necessarily immediate. no 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 I'm have to interrupt you because the shopping trolley in the lift shopping trolley oh yeah that was a good one I rewound it so that you had to watch it again it was a good one kids dicking about with a shopping trolley in a lift and he is it's obviously two brothers and he decides he's going to run his brother in the trolley into a black bin liner in the corner of the lift and it just explodes in blood in someone's head it's Genius. Oh, my favourite bit is when someone accidentally fell in it. Oh my god, yeah. For no, for no good reason. There was no reason. She wasn't need. even pushed. She didn't even need to move toward it. But, oh, she fell face but first she ended into up, it. She didn't even go face first. She just went down, rolled around in it for a second, <laughs> got up again and covered in red stuff. Oh, yeah. Gross. Brilliant. So it was, and like you say, it it had those elements, but mm. that wasn't the be-all and end-all. No, it wasn't. I mean, ultimately, they, they cut away from a lot of the actual scenes of violence. So if it was yes. coming to a kill scene or whatever, a, a violent scene, 
it would always cut away and maybe mm. budget restrictions just you know stop that from actually being filmed in the way that they wanted to do it yeah and they afforded only the number of body parts that could ever be put into a plastic bag which is why <laughs> that same plastic bag was used 25 times there's a bin bag. They had plenty of bin bags. Yeah, but the body parts, I think, were also the same. Oh, I think they were reused. They, they were reused, definitely. Um, but it, it was... Uh, for me, I said it pretty early on in the film, it's got a like a, a seven vibe to it. Yes. It's quite procedural at the start. It's always dark. It's mm. always raining. Yeah, it is. Some film noir crap going on there. Like There's police turning up. One of them's a bit of a hard case. They're trying to take ownership of the scene. Yeah. It's very Seven. And I think, like you were saying before, the element of Seven that comes through as well is it doesn't focus on the act of murder. It focuses on what happens next. It has got one hell of an ending as well. Like, it ends strong. I'm not going to spoil that one as much because I don't think it's as integral to... Audition, you had to know what happened at the end. <laughs> and there's a couple like that where their big thing is their end. But this, it ended strong with the twists and things. From tell me something to, I'm going to just assume what is one of both of our favourite Tartan Asia Extreme films. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So 2001's Battle Royale, uh, directed by Kinji Fukasaku. Um, this is a Japanese film. And again, just to throw out my credentials, I read the book. I did not. There's <laughs> so many names in there that you... you oh, it is, the, it is difficult. In, in our culture, it is impossible to keep track of who they are. It wasn't that bad. Or for me. Yeah. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just you. I mean, don't read Game I, of Thrones or anything, babe. Yeah. <laughs> I struggled with the Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, true. That's very, it's very navy. Loads of them dwarf people just called like the same name, <laughs> Boingo, Boingo, and fucking I don't know. I think this, like the Ring series and things, this is another one that's almost been uh, taken in by Western culture. This hasn't been remade or anything. But don't say Hunger Games. <laughs> I wasn't going to say hung, Hunger Games, but she did claim that she had never seen or heard of Battle Royale. Ah, uh, bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> but I think this is one that's really kind of been taken in by British audiences and American audiences and things because it is so, so fun as a film in a lot of ways. Like, it, it's just insane and it's got the teen demographic and all that kind of stuff, but... For anyone who isn't um, already aware of Battle Royale, in a world where teenagers have no respect and adults are losing control, there can be only one solution. Battle Royale. Now see what happens when you let a high school class loose on an island, arm them and give them a simple choice. Kill your friends or have them kill you. With poison crossbows, machetes and dynamite. Um, So beat Takeshi Kit Tano is a teacher pushed to the edge by his unruly charges. Kidnapped and gassed, his class wake up with exploding metal collars around their necks. If they rebel, they could lose their heads. Now they have three days and only one is permitted to survive this grisly battle to the death. So, it's... The BR Act. The BR Act. The Battle Royale Act. It's brutal in a lot of ways, but really entertaining. 
it doesn't it has violence without going too gore like there's violence but there's not what i mean is like there's blood and there's violent ways that people die but it's there is quick. Mm, it's not it's not protracted linger. or, or dragged out it's dragged out yeah dragged out dragged out i think it's that thing of like you're not seeing intestines and eyeballs falling it's not that kind of thing do you know what i mean there'll there'll be bloodshed but mm. it's not exaggerated to a, a ridiculous degree um but I, I just thought this was such an amazing film when I first watched it. And I think doing a bit of research, there was a big kind of uh, element of the fact that a lot of Japanese youth had kind of really started to rebel and become criminal. Uh, there was really extreme acts of violence for a while. And it was almost a rebellion against the extreme cultural expectations of them mostly through like the education system and things so they were being under strict rule of schooling for almost 12 hours a day with homework to take back with them and thing, and it broke a lot of them and it resulted in these really horrendous acts and that's kind of where battle royale comes in i think is this kind of exaggerated dystopian future version where kids have just rebelled against any form of control and so they've brought in this program to put fear into them, but also eliminate some of the threats. I read it as the adults' fear of the children's evolution or revolution, whatever mm. you want to do. Well, I think that was greater, and therefore they had to keep them in check. I think that is so. Like, we'll come back to the first one, but I think that comes in a lot more in the uh, battle royale requiem, the requiem. sequel, where kind of Noriko, one of the survivors, is kind of this anti-state alliance and they send in students to the Battle Royale Island not to kill each other but to kill him. You know, that is their sole mission. So it does kind of take that twist but I think, like I say, it was a response to this action that was happening but at the same time it was also kind of a response to the fact of this is how adult society is dealing with unruly children just put them on an island and tell them to kill each other like no remorse for them it's it's kind of a big fear mechanism to say ultimately one of your peers will be picked Mm. one of your peer groups will be picked yes at random we draw a class at random out of a lottery and it could be you and I think there was just some some very realistic kind of ways of dealing with it so the fact that some characters banded together and tried to find a logical way out some simply tried to survive and were killed by the rules of the game others went full self-preservation and just got involved in the game and then there was suicides and betrayals and, you know, people who just said we're not playing the game. And I think that is what, you know, if you put everyone in that situation, if, if a class was put in that situation, it would be unrealistic to say they all turned into bloodthirsty little criminals. I think it did a really good job of giving them each human elements. Oh, massively. It's every single child in that class acted differently. Yes. There was no trope 
for a certain kind of group to go one way or the other way. Mm. They, they all had their own individual personalities. Yeah, and that leads to the conflict and the kind of violence. And just, it kind of gives reason for why. So, like, the mistrust that one action can kind of put into the characters that causes them all to suddenly shoot each other and things like that. It You build up kind of seeing these characters as a group, but the fact that it's so fragile, these allegiances are so fragile because of the crazy circumstances they're in. Mm. Um, but we're not doing a full podcast on Battle Royale. One day, because I do adore that film. Um, just kind of wanted to go with what you remember as being your favourite bits. I knew it was going to come to this, and this is where not doing the research and having a shit memory. <laughs> I actually think the, the teacher kill at the start, where it's just like, this is real. This is actually happening, guys. Yes. Fuck you, bosh. Yes, because that is when um, Nobu is killed, which Ooh. is Noriko's best friend, isn't it? Yeah. And that is such a personal attack on, like, our main character right at the beginning just, to yeah. prove that we're not fucking about here. Yeah, it's just a, a realistic, boosh, this is happening, guys. Yeah. Uh, you better adjust right now. Yeah. So I think that's, that's what I would say is my favourite kill. I really did. I liked a lot of um, Kazuo, who is the kind of gingery fella who's uh, uh, been put in there on purpose yeah he's the ringer yes and he is just pure psychopath like just mowing people down it's like Rufio he does look a bit like Rufio Um, but it's just like he is the epitome of the vindictive side of this because there's a point where two of the students are trying to call to um, I think oh it's not Noriko Noriko's the girl Shuya Shuya. Shuya. Uh, two of the girls are trying to call to Shuya and he shoots them and while one of them is suffering puts the megaphone that she was using yeah. near her mouth and lets them hear her kind of pain. I'm like, you don't have to do that. This is survival, not fun, but he is there for Shuya. pure fun. Um, and then also the student who, the runner in the Kill Bill tracksuit, that like Bruce Lee yellow tracksuit, yeah. who pure just stabs a guy in the dick to death just dick stabbing wasn't a fan of that one <laughs> I wonder why but there is like and they're not unfair as well because there is a female student um, Mitsuko who is pure cold blooded as well and they her and um, Kazuo have like a full on showdown in the shed yeah yeah I just think they, they do such a good a good job with the killings and things like that but I think it's not even just so much the killings it's the moments around it like nothing's better than that first reveal where they all kind of you see them at different points unzipping their bag and like one of them's got a fucking bin lid and the other one's got like <laughs> a oh, gun no. and you're just like this is not fair yeah. but I just think it was such an iconic film like even yeah. here I think it became such a massive film yeah I mean that, that's if you were to go really deep into it, you'd be like, well, this is the hand you've been dealt. Mm. And, you know, it's almost like shooting match. This is where you were born. You know, this, this kind of cultural statement as to this is what you've got. Yeah. You either deal with it and get on with it, and mm. it's harder for you to fight out of it. 
Yeah. But if you get out of it, great. Rebel. I think that is their big thing is those who rebel for the right reasons are allowed either release in the end or survival in the end and mm. things. Those who do the right things and... Right, we're going too far into this now. Yeah, we need to move on. Uh, there was a sequel. It, it wasn't as good, but it, it was still fun to watch. There's guns um, and shit in that one, though, like for like proper uprising. Yeah, that is more like a rebellion versus a powerful they, they government. The kids are on an island, right? Yes. Sweet. I remember that. So, moving on, before we end up doing a mini dissertation on Battle Royale, um, the next one, so our 2002 film was... Oh, no, sorry, 2004 was Three Extremes. The reason I got confused is because Three Extremes 2, which came before Three Extremes in 2002, but was renamed as its sequel to gain traction off the success of Three Extremes, made me put them in the wrong order. But we didn't watch Three Extremes 2, we just watched Three Extremes. We did. Um, And this is three short films. Uh, This is uh, Fruit Chan, Park Chan-wook and Takeshi Miike. We have Dumplings, Cut and Box. So... um, Dumplings is our first one. It's it was made into a feature length film and concerns a woman desperate to reclaim her youth who ends up eating some weird dumplings to do so. Yeah, I mean it's um that age old fetus eating story. <laughs> yeah, that one we're all familiar Everybody's with. Everybody's familiar with it. It's, uh, yeah, wrap them up in dumplings and mm. chow down. Obviously, it's kind of that thing of when she realises what's going on and what she's being fed, but obviously the effects. It is a gross concept, but it is... And she, can, she cannot give it up at the end, no. can she? she you know. She's addicted to it, but it is, it is beautiful in the way that it's shot. What she would do to maintain a youthly vibe usually bizarre yeah the the imagery of youth the kind of Hmm. she's not young but she wants to put that across and she wants she she's an actor so obviously it's the kind of industry where youth is cash you know Hmm. youth is your ticket and she doesn't want to be seen as old she thinks her husband is no longer interested in her so she's like if i can look young again like i used to but there is a lot as well about this idea of just the young suffering at the hands of the old and youth being stolen and things. There's a little bit of a story in this where a young girl um, does die after a botched abortion, which obviously the whole fetus thing and stuff. And that was for the gain of someone else and she suffered at the hands of it and things. Um, also just you know to make it worse um, that links to the big theme of a lot of the films because the parent the yeah the, the father of her child was her father um, they just threw that one in because we're, we're going to get into this in other ones incest incest let's just say incest just, and then we'll just continue that theme I think for yeah. more of the through all of the rest of the films Um, the next one was Cut which 
was the one where they were making a film at the beginning and we saw like the opening scene of the film and things it was um a little bit one cut of the dead like when they yelled cut and then it's like ah that's not the opening of the film oh shit yeah the uh, vampire lady yeah 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 and yeah, then that yeah. has nothing to do with the film um, nothing to do with it at all <laughs> extremely confusing yes so this is a home invasion a guy uh, kind of torturing a director because he is handsome nice and successful and this man doesn't like that uh, like at least you could the, the least you could do is be a dick you know how dare you also be nice at the same time which is such a weird concept but yeah he wants to prove that the world is full of awful people and that nobody is truly good but it's weird yeah I have only just found out it was called Cut mm-hmm. and I would not call that film Cut I understand why it's called Cut mm-hmm but Cut has very little to do with what's happening Cut. in that film. I know, I know. But it, it's, like, that is not the overall theme of the film. No, but I think The you overall wouldn't... theme of the film is the shit tied to things everywhere. There is literally... Just call it Piano Wire or something but like that. But like you said... Because the... that's the most impactful image in that entire film. Is, the fact that tied. there's an axe. She's um, tied to cut. all this wire, but it's like, like you or, said, it or didn't call come... it. Call it um, what's a marionette? Call it marionette. Yeah, That's but that wasn't it. important. Like you said, the way she was rigged up to look didn't impact. No, on the film. it could have done. It could have done, but we didn't direct it, and if we did, it would have done. Um, I did. I did enjoy this one. Like I said, it wasn't great, but um, I think... So this is the uh, Chanwook Park one. And I think it had some interesting moments. There is a butt dance. There Make is. me laugh. So he does a, a little butt dance. Um, it was a bit confusing. And it's obviously looking at social class and things like that and it had a few twists and turns in it as we went along I think, I think the, the twists were telegraphed yeah telegraphed to the point where it did still shock me that they did them I was like oh they're doing that okay <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it it was alright it was I, I, very I, I'm pretty not set saying, designs. Yeah, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. Mm. I'm just saying that I felt like it was going to do more. Mm. And I was disappointed that it I didn't. expected more. Mm. And the last one from Three Extremes is um, by Takeshi Miike. And it was Box. So this one was a bit more of a ghosty, artsy story. Romantic novelist who is kind of tormented by her childhood trauma again lots of dream logic lots of dream imagery um he very much loves ballet imagery these girls were dancers again just kind of like um as with me from audition was this had some disturbing moments but once again it came right back round to incest always incest why always to incest and a terrible accident brought on by jealousy but jealousy of her sister's relationship to her dad and 
it was all a little bit again beautiful visuals this big circus tent in the snow all that kind of stuff was stunning but stop making related people have sexual urges towards I mean, each other. I mean, it was like double incest in this. Yeah, because then there was there was the jealousy... Al- and no. Yeah, it was just... It was weird. But it was... Just, yeah, it happened. It, it was then. <laughs> so, Three Extremes, I do kind of get, again, that anthology sort of thing is a good way to get in and you try a few directors and they all had very distinct styles but and themes and things. But I... I I enjoyed Dumplings. Um, I think I have watched the feature length, but I think it, it dragged a little bit and got a bit convoluted. Cut was fine, could have been shorter, and Box was beautiful, but could have done without the pissing incest. Speaking of incest... <laughs> While we're on the subject of incest. While we're on the subject... We move on to 2003's Old Boy, and I apologise because that was just a giant spoiler. But if you've not figured that out by now, <laughs> I mean, you may as well give up on the remainder of this podcast. Yeah, just um, just don't just 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 watch Old Boy. It, it is actually a very very good film. So this is this is Park Chan Wook, and this is a Japanese film, and it's based on a manga um, called Old Boy tells the horrific tale of Odesu, so a businessman who is inexplicably kidnapped and imprisoned in a grim hotel room uh, kind of cell for 15 years without knowing his captor or the reason for his incarceration. He is eventually released, learns of his wife's murder and embarked on a quest for revenge whilst also striking up a romance with a young attractive sushi chef Mido. He eventually finds his tormentor, but their final encounter will yield yet more unimaginable horrors. I mean, the the words released in that synopsis are very light, considering what actually... He is placed in a suitcase <laughs> on a roof. Yep. And he I escapes, set you free. <laughs> he escapes said suitcase to find a guy that is... Committing suicide or uh, about to contemplating suicide, suicide, suicide on the edge of this b- tall building. So, yeah, th- there's a lot of simplification, I think, in that mm. um, synopsis there that overlooks quite how extreme this film is. But it's a synopsis, so it has to overlook it because otherwise it tells you everything. And the- I think this is one that has to be experienced, even if you know what's coming, you could know yeah. everything. You have to watch this. It's not very simple. Mm-mm. Certainly not as simple as that synopsis made it sound. No. And one that I think definitely deserves a watch, despite altogether reverting round to the common theme of incest. Yes. Yeah, I think it reverting to that kind of... I think, obviously... Because one of the ones that was on our list that we didn't get round to and stuff was Visit a Q, which is also, I think, Takeshi Miike, and that's another one that deals with that kind of thing. Yeah. But I think it's it's that ultimate taboo, isn't it? Familial relations in that way and things is such... It, it It's beyond other taboos. It's that and cannibalism and things like, you know, so it's it's pushing the ultimate boundaries. Maybe we just picked the wrong ones. Like, I'm not going to accuse um, all 
kind of yeah. Eastern Asian films of dealing with that because a lot of the ones on this list don't no. but they just seem to be I think it's because we watched them so clustered together that I was literally getting to the point of banging my head against a wall going just stop just could someone be in a relationship with someone who isn't related to them please I think looking beyond that although that is such at least with this one that is done in a way that is purposeful like yes. I, I will give this one what it does it hits you in the stomach when the reveals and things happen for it and the story is absolutely insane and it shouldn't work but um, Park Chan-wook has just kind of manipulated it so well that everything about it works Onesu is he's learned everything in life from television because of it well do you know what I mean he he's been comforted for 15 years by television so the way he talks the way he moves the way he knows things is so stilted because that's been his only port of contact with the outside world and you know he's kind of like he comes out and some thugs try and attack him he's like I wonder if fake you know beating up a man on a wall that he's drawn translates to real life and he kicks the ass his fantasy fighting in his little hotel prison he does. leads to kicking some ass. Well, he is punching a block wall at points, so yeah, he's he, going to be pretty hard. He's all right. <laughs> um, but this is absolutely kind of stylish, kind of postmodern, really dark sense of humour, this kind of gritty, modern, kind of neo-noir... Um, it's it's crime in a lot of ways. It's like a gangster film more than it is a horror. I would say gangster, certainly, more than crime. It, it's got that kind of gangster element to it while still we, I can 100% understand why it's under the extreme label. There may not be guts and gore galore, but it belongs underneath the extreme label. But this was, this was the second film in Park Chan-wook's Vengeance trilogy. So we now have to, out of order slightly, but um, we need to watch Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and uh, Lady Vengeance as well. I feel like from my enjoyment of Old Boy, we need to watch those. We do own them. We Oh no, one. We, we own, own Lady, Lady Vengeance. Vengeance. We need to find Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. And that leads us to the last film on our shelf that we had a look at. Um, and that was... 2003's A Tale of Two Sisters, directed by Kim Ji-woon, and this was a Korean film. This is one that I've seen, but I don't think you've seen. No, I have not. No? Not at all. I do. I think this is one as well that I would very much like to show you, so I'm going to try and be as careful as I can with it. Um, but there may be some little spoilery bits as well. I will forget immediately. <laughs> so, after being in hospital, two sisters return home to their father and stepmother. Sumi is the older sister and she's prepared to speak her mind. Su Yun, however, is more wary and still haunted by bad memories of the place. And she becomes an easy target for her stepmother's bullying. But then there are strange things that start happening in their house. Is this their stepmother trying to torment them or is there something more sinister hiding in the shadows? Yeah, this kind of plays on the whole evil stepmom Disney trope to begin with in that this woman is just seen as awful and vindictive and cruel and abusive uh, to Soo Yun, at least, the younger sister. 
But this is a perfect example of that psychological haunting uh, Asian kind of cinema. So it's not so much ring, long-haired girl, creepy ghost, but there is a lot of elements like that. It's very much, um, (laughs) yeah. Lots of beautiful uses of like imagery and things like these very well-crafted visuals of these spirits and ghosts or little things that they're leaving behind and blood under the floorboards and ribbons coming out of things that ribbons shouldn't come. Yeah, that kind of element. And I would say this is almost, it's Switchblade Romance-esque whilst pulling it off better than Switchblade Romance. Autotension. 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 Yeah, that one. Okay. So... I think it, it's got those psychological elements to it and it is so well played out like I think this was one of the very first kind of I think after like Battle Royale I think this was one of the next ones that I watched and I do remember just it was haunting like it's really beautiful and just what psychological what the other day that was similar to this where he was several characters in a Victorian type environment or is this something that I watched this may be a work watch yeah it might have been actually I might have had it in the background that I just thought you know what this is like identity yeah similar to that kind of thing in that there is a play upon thriller yeah horror horror elements with those horror well it's I think it goes further into the horror than something like identity does Mm. and it has those kind of elements of what's real and what isn't how sane is she and people reacting to the three characters and things I think we may need to do a retrospective like in another episode we'll just open up with what you thought of this one Okay. I would highly highly recommend it I just think it is beautiful but those were as many as we could get through from the creation and little idea that popped into our heads to do this one after the screening of certain films at our local cinema so obviously tartan asia uh, well tartan and tartan asia extreme as a, a kind of subsidiary of that did disappear in 2008 it was picked up by some other companies you know obviously the one that i can't pronounce the palisade palisades so shut up <laughs> Palisades um, did pick up some of the backlog and things. It is amazing how big of a crate. Like I think that's what struck me was as soon as we looked at going to see a um, audition and then looked at the shelf for the Tartan Asia DVDs we had and things. It was like crap. This was huge. Like Eastern Horror yeah, yeah, was huge. Most. Yeah, accidentally, like not on the purpose of buying that brand. Yeah. But kind of just because think, uh, they were such a big part during that time when we were probably teens and you know exploring horror beyond just six cents. I know what you did last summer, <laughs> like those kind of things. Yeah. When you started branching out, I think that's when Tartan Asia Extreme was in its big kind of moments. Well, it certainly would have been like mid early thousand, early early, early to late kind of two thousands, yeah. Yeah, probably more early for me and you late. Yeah, but that's similar region. Similar region. But I think, because 
in doing a bit of this research, I was like, well, what happened? Why did Tartan have to, you know, like, why did it go into like liquidation or whatever those businessy words are? And obviously I think it did overreach. I think it bought too many titles that were so specialized, they weren't selling mass amounts of DVDs. But my second theory is that we were just oversaturated with like J-horror and Asian horror remakes. Oh, I mean, America just took over, did it not? Yeah. The majority of the films that we've talked about have had an adaptation slash remake. Just pure reboot, yeah. Yeah, reboot with American audiences. Oh, sorry, American actors. Mm. Um, Some with some success. Yeah. Some massive success. Some with... Limited. Absolutely (laughs) no success whatsoever, Mm. by comparison. I think, so, again, I've kind of research which ones uh, that are Tartan Asia that have been remade. Managed to kind of come up with a bit of a list. So obviously Ringu was remade. The Japanese film was remade um, in 2002 by Gore Verbinski and that became the Ring franchise with like Naomi Watts and stuff. I would say as much as it doesn't capture some of the things from the original Japanese film I mind that one. I, I didn't think, mind no, no. the ring I think remake. It's probably the most honest. Mm. That and the grudge, I would say, are yes. the most honest to the original. And obviously, the grudge wasn't Tartan Asia Extreme, but I think that had similar. It landed around the same time, didn't it? When we were getting this kind of lots of Asian yeah. um, remakes Sarah in Michelle Hollywood. Geller. Yes, that was Sarah Michelle Gellar, yeah. which I always struggle with because same as like I know what you did last summer. It's like Buffy, just fight. We know you can. Um, Dark Water, which is another one, Japanese film, was remade in 2005 by Walter Sales, and that had Jennifer Connolly and Tim Roth in it. I've only seen the Japanese version. I think... uh, I think I have seen the American version, yeah. Tim Roth, wow. I do love Tim Roth. Big name. And I don't think it was the worst, but I think... Dark Water itself struggles a little bit because it's a, a short story. Or the worst remake, you mean? Or the worst... Oh, yeah, I don't think it's the worst remake I of, like... I liked Dark Water as a, as a film. The Japanese. Mm. Yeah, I, I did like it. I think it does lose something, and obviously it's got... It's Translation. A, well, yeah. yeah. It, it, sometimes It's kind of like, do you know, how sometimes you would have to take the setting of something and change it so the reason weird example but the reason that shameless in america works so well is they instead of just blind copying it they went what is america's version of our council estate and they went for a trailer yeah. park and they made it american with was the it same it wasn't they lived under a bridge who in shameless in america oh, the first trailer parking no. yeah but that they kind lived of under a, like like trolls n- no <laughs> no. Like trolls. Like under an underpass with like a like a house with chain fencing outside. Mm. It wasn't. It was like wasn't more of a, a, a kind of slummy. It just wasn't a very affluent area. Right, but they kind of. But it, it it was a good translation. Yeah. from one to the they other. They translated from one well yeah. to the other. In between us, not so. Well. No, they didn't do that well because they because the education system's so different. You can't translate the two. No. I don't think. Um, the next one on the chopping block 
So I didn't even realise this, but The Departed, made in 2006 by Martin Scorsese, or Scorsese, um, is a remake of Infernal Affairs. Is it really? Mm. Wow. That was the Hong Kong film, obviously. Well, that's pretty successful. Yeah. Marky Mark's in it. Marky Mark is in it. Leo DiCaprio, Jack Nicholson, Matt Damon. I think that is now All making of these, me... Uh, names I've never heard of. Marky Mark's in it, though. You shut up. <laughs> Although, yeah, Marky Mark is the man. It's a funky bunch of it as well. <laughs> Only in one cut scene. <laughs> is he wearing leather pants? Uh, he's wearing underwear the entire time, I think. It's really uh, disappointing. It's nowhere near as good as Rockstar. <laughs> um, but that's made me even more intrigued to watch Infernal Affairs, to be honest. Um, yep. Based upon like The Departed and things. So obviously that was a really successful one. I think that was probably successful because the essence of it was taken um, without everything being taken. Like, it, it's... I don't think that's going to be like a complete copy. I think The Departed is going to be its own kind of thing. And oh, I imagine Scorsese is going to put his own thing on it anyway. The next remake was The Eye in 2008 by Sebastian Guterres. So this was a Hong Kong Singaporean film originally and then remade. There are three remakes of this film actually. Uh, a 2004 Indian film, a 2005 Hindi film. The American film starred Jessica Alba and was a dumpster fire. She's blind, isn't it? Yeah. She gets transplanted ass. She gets the transplanted ass. Oh, this was... Uh, I have watched the Japanese one and the way they do the imagery and things of that is brilliant. And I love Jessica Alba. I have nothing against Jessica Alba. She's really good in Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four? Sin City. Sin Storm? Yeah, yeah. She's good in Sin City. Like, I do. I really do like her in a lot of things. But this was terrible. I have never been less convinced that you are blind. I have never been less convinced that you are in trouble. <laughs> like, that, that was a bad remake. Bad, bad Gothica. remake. Gothica's not a remake. No, no, but it was terrible. But it was just shit. Yeah, it's another shit film like Gothica. Although, and, do you know what the best thing about Gothica quite was? was in it. Halle Berry. Halle Berry. Yeah. And Robert Downey Jr. And it was terrible. And mm-hmm. uh, what's the um, what's the other one with Halle Berry in? Catwoman. Woman? Yeah, it's um, not a horror, but shit. Remake. Uh, I feel like it should be. Spin-off of the character Catwoman from the Batman series. Ill-advised yeah. spin-off. <laughs> Who did it better? Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. I believe, Pfeiffer. I believe it's pronounced Pfeiffer. Have you started taking up my ability to, to pronounce names? Um, so that was followed up by the 2008 remake of Shutter by um, Masayuki Ochiai, which was a Thai film. This starred Joshua Jackson, Rachel Taylor and Megumi Okina. I don't think I've seen this remake. It's the one I've seen, I'm pretty sure I've seen the kind of um, Thai film because it's about capturing spirits on camera. Oh, yeah. And it always reminded me of the video game Project Zero. Um, Basically, you are like uh, a young woman 
and your only battle against the demons and things is that you can if you take your their picture you take their power from them um oh, so you, it's, it's like being stuck in resi evil but all you've got is a fucking camera so that was a really really good video game yeah i know that guy you were a big naughty's guy he was like a huge naughty's guy and then I you were no nothing my e-ducks that's what it is my e-ducks okay of course it now is. we're happy end the podcast on that um no, I have more. Uh, 2008 also brought Mirrors, which was a remake of the South Korean film Into the Mirror. So this was Alexandra Aja who remake who did the mm. directing on this one, and he I like him. He's a good guy. What he else did, did he? Uh, he did Crawl. Oh yeah, terrible. Excuse you. Excuse you. Did. Piranhas 3 not 3D why are you laughing at that it basically does mutated animals in water films he did two mutated animals in water film he did crawl and piranha oh no piranha 3D sorry 3D not 3 double D that's where I'm getting oh, confused oh 3 is way better he did horns the yeah. uh, one based on the Joe Hill book did the hills have eyes? Yeah, mutated. And he did potential. Oh, yeah, so he's done four mutated films and a mental health film. Yeah. What do you call it? That. Yeah. Asia, my man, leave him alone. Um, and I do remember watching Mirrors, and it wasn't too bad. I think it's just like Keith Sutherland smashes a shit ton of mirrors in a warehouse is what I mostly remember from it. But yeah. Amy Smart, she's the one from Butterfly Effect, right? That goes from uh, like being amazingly pretty to I have basically chewed through my own face. Yeah, like I live on a fresh I diet of crack. crack. Yeah. Uh, yes, I believe that. She is. does a good job in that. Yeah, yeah. That's another one that I think we should revisit, but we'll be massively disappointed when we revisit it. I just can't oh, see... Wow fucking what's his face in the same light anymore Ashton Kutcher yeah but I won't watch it that's fun I mean we own it we do I've I've owned it since we owned it (laughs) logics um so 2009 we got the uninvited which again I did not know about and did not realise was a remake of A Tale of Two Sisters so a South Korean film we watched the uninvited together have we watched The Uninvited? I feel like we have. Well, yeah. it's so shitely linked to A Tale of Two Sisters that I still haven't realised it was a remake. No. Um, it's directed by the Guard Brothers, which when I saw that, I thought, ooh, if you're called, like, if you've got a name, you know, you're Sasuke sisters, do you know what I mean? You've got, you've got a name for the two of you together as a duo. Yeah, I know. They've done, like, one other film that I've never heard of and maybe, maybe some adverts. Film? I don't know. I'd never heard of it. They've done adverts. Well, they have. They've mostly done adverts. Their big listings was like Audi commercial. <laughs> I'm not being a bitch, like, but I just thought to end the kind of moniker of not just being we are Joe and James, you know, guard, the guard brothers, made them sound a lot cooler than what my Google search <laughs> came up with. British. 
Yeah. That's doesn't mean I have to doesn't mean I have to make them sound better. I mean you Google the guard brothers and it literally comes up with one guard. Yeah, but just says he works frequently with his brother. So moving on from the guard brothers and all my amazing facts on them, we have 2012's uh, remake of the Japanese film Apartment 1303, and that was remade into Apartment 1303 3D. Apartment uh, 1303. All I want to say is, is it Apartment 1408? No, Apartment 1303 3D. Then I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to watch the remake. It has Misha Barton in it. Um, I watched the original Japanese and it wasn't great, to be honest, so I'm not even going to bother. The next one... Where are we? Oh, no. I unchronologicized. Dechronologicalized? Yeah, I went... I I didn't put that one in order. So, Bangkok Dangerous... um, was a 2008 remake of Bangkok Dangerous and it was a Thai Thai film and it's the Pang Brothers so the same directors did the original Thai film that did the remake and that is a Nicolas Cage vehicle of course it is and it I just feel like I get it because you do get a lot of kind of directors that will direct in their native language and then direct a an Americanized remake of their own film mm-hmm. um but, yeah, I'm not sure I can handle that much cage. I mean, I knew this was coming out mm. at the time that it came out. Bearing in mind it's 11 years ago now. Mm. But for me, so oh. a film that is called, like, Place Name Dangerous. <laughs> and it's I not just, it. I just, what's, yeah. Where's the appeal for this? Bangkok Dangerous, but with all Americans, yeah. Insert place name, insert descriptor. True. Um, But the last one, the last big remake that I wanted to talk about. Spain Hot. Spain Hot. (laughs) France Unruly. You're doing a bit of a statement there, aren't you? UK Dismal. There you go. Sorted. <laughs> That's a film we're gonna direct. Bank, Bangkok Dangerous UK, UK Dismal, Dismal. <laughs> 2020. It's, not, oh, it's gonna be such a sad grand. film. It's basically gonna be a camera set up at our back window watching it rain. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of footage of cues. Really long cues. Just a guy standing. Sighing. <gasps> So much sighing. Fuck's sake. <laughs> okay, we need to wrap this up now. So, our last big kind of remake of the Asian films. So, Old Boy got a remake. The South Korean film um, that we loved was remade in 2013 by Spike Lee. And it was starring uh, Josh, Josh Brolin, Elizabeth Olsen, and Samuel Jackson. Um think it kind of follows a similar story but it definitely changes the bleak ending does it 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 does not end with the hypnosis so he knowingly goes off he cuts all ties with her it does not have the same impact then that's bullshit no i have not seen this remake and i am angry i'm angry 
Uh, Spike Lee, amazing filmmaker, has is done Josh some... Brolin. Is he purple in it? He's not purple. Oh, okay. He also has both functioning eyes. Is Elizabeth Olsen Red Scarlet Witch? Yes. Is she a Scarlet Witch person in it? No, she's just his daughter. Okay, Samuel L. Jackson, does he have an eye patch? He doesn't. Fuck, this is the Avengers. Yeah. I imagine Charlton Copley is also an Avenger. I am not sure, but if not, Marvel needs to give them a ring. Also, we need to double check if this is canon. I really am not sure about this. Um, but yeah, Spike Lee does some brilliant original films, but fuck me, was this a waste. This it. He was in Chappie. He was in Chappie. And Hardcore Henry. Ooh. But he was not. He's not in been fact, in. fact, in the Avengers, which is a shame. Because otherwise, we'd have been four for four there. Oh fuck off! Was he in District Nine? Is he the guy from District Nine? He is the guy from District Nine. Oh. He's South African. He's that guy. Watford. <laughs> But yeah, that, that film just had uh, no no need to be remade, really. So I'm going to wrap us up on this Tartan Asia Extreme episode with some news from around 2014. It was the last thing I could find, really, about Tartan Asia Extreme. There was really not that much out there about it as kind of a branding and things. Phenomenon. As a phenomenon. Um but the North American indie art house kind of distributor, Kino Lorber, has picked up the rights to the... Palisades. Tartan Library, including Tartan Asia Extreme. I'm just going to use you like pocket cup. <laughs> Gorilla. <laughs> you know my little speak and spell. Shut up, love <laughs> So this was the kind of 2014. I did look on their website and you can kind of um, purchase Tartan Asia Extreme titles under there with the Tartan Asia Extreme oh, kind of. Yeah, you can oh. still get them with the banding on the top and things like that. That's cool. Yeah, I think that's quite nice that it's still kind of going because it would have been awful if that kind of branding just disappeared or if yeah. they were no longer um, being distributed on DVD and things like that. Because uh, I know some of them have come to streaming, but... Well, it's nice to the fact that this distributor is still happy to have mm. Asia, someone else as a former distributor on yeah. their label. Well, because it kind of became a brand. It was like yeah. a, a branding of it. And that was... You knew what you were getting if you went into like HMV or something and was like, Tartanasia Extreme DVD. You were going to get something fucking weird. <laughs> You say that, but after this whole watching them back to back, it's quite interesting. Whilst there are a lot of similarities, how different a lot of these are. But they're all—they all deserve their extreme title, is what I mean. Like you knew you were going to get something that fit that bill. You weren't going to do kind of buying, purchasing a DVD or renting a DVD because it looked like it should have been scary or had a name that sounded scary, and finding out it was not. Mm. I have some stories on that, but we'll, we'll go into those at another time. Jack Frost. <laughs> oh, God, Oh, yeah. shit, nailed it as well. That was, uh, yeah. yeah. I tuned out then, but I tuned back yeah, in, yeah. apparently. Um, there was some other ones. But, 
I think what's great now... Buffy the Vampire Layer. Oh, wait, no. Muffy the Vampire Layer. Shut up. Back on porn. Shannon Ryan's Privates. Shut up. No. I did not rent any of those from Blockbuster. They wouldn't let me. Um, <laughs> I think what's great now is... So, Tartan, as a kind of distributor, really did well at bringing things over here. And now we have these worldwide streaming sites and things. Obviously, you only get certain things in the UK compared to America on Netflix and Shudder and stuff. Shudder has upped its game. I'm going to give Shudder some credit in it's upping improved, its UK game. But I have to say it's been exhausted since it's improved and now we need more. Yeah. You gave us more and we are modern dickheads and I want more of that more now. So... I think, because, like, Old Boy is on Shudder now as well, isn't it? A lot of these films that we've talked about today are on Shudder. Are kind of coming, and I think that's where we've kind of expanded that. Now, like, Shudder, you'll just click on a film because you've read the synopsis, and it's not until it starts up that you're like, ah, this is not English or American. Yeah, I can't just have this on in the background. No, I need to pay attention to the bloody subtitles. I need to read and shit. Yes. But I think that's what's great is like, and also, so Tartan Asia Extreme really did deal with Southeast Asia and things like that. Like, you know, Japan, Korea, Thailand. It didn't go further. Whereas now, some of the horror films we've watched have been from oh, all yeah. different regions and In, things. What was the Indonesian one we watched? Oh. It was like Evil Dead ish. Yes. I'm sure that was an Indonesian one. There was an Indi- Indonesian one, yeah. But just kind of having access to horror films beyond Europe as well like French horror films and Spanish horror films are great but we kind of we get a lot more of them but kind of that sort of difference of um, Palestinian and kind of Iranian horror Satan's Slaves Satan's Slaves was the Indonesian so like venturing out into cultures that we maybe aren't as closely associated to as we are to European ones and I think that's a really brilliant thing because experiencing horror from someone else's culture, it's not safe because we don't understand it. It shows us something new and that is something, you know, fear of new, fear of something different. And that can be just like the styles that they use are something we've not been programmed to get over already. Like, oh yes, American, jump scare, do this, do that. Gory, do this, do that. British social realism, do this, do that, like... Yeah, and it's like, uh, Isa Lopez, what's that, Mexican? Mexican. Tigers are not afraid. Tigers are not afraid. Like, I imagine that particular film is kind of, in Mexican culture, a lot easier to handle, whereas... Mm coming at it from our perspective or different is, to handle yeah different to handle coming at it from our perspective that shit is bleak I cry so bleak and that I think that is the thing like when you realise what and I think like say what other cultures find scary but what other cultures classify as the norm for them as well is such a different thing yeah exactly so Yay! Bring on more global cinema. I want to watch films from places that I don't usually watch films from. We just have to be more awake and ready for subtitles. But thank you for listening to this, what may be a longer than average episode. We'll see how the editing of this one goes down. 
if you've made it to the end you've stuck with us and thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you but i'm gonna link to all the different things that i use for research on this because i don't want to take credit for some of the uh background knowledge i did i did just do some extensive googling um i do feel worthy though none of them are wiki links like they're, they're just i look to other things apart from wikipedia because wikipedia's one is shite for this as well i'm gonna reference absolutely zero links no that's fine i did no research <laughs> but you 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 participate in you get a participation medal i am present <laughs> i am mostly here i exist so we're gonna get going again i think, I think. you're having an existential crisis babe once again thank you for listening through this very long research episode i hope you've enjoyed if you would like more content uh, you can find articles and lists and all of the fun things on the website bombshellsandblueshells.com and you can follow me on instagram and facebook at bombshells and blue shells or on twitter at be blue shells can you remember where you live on the interwebs no. So you can find the other Alex on Instagram and Twitter at 32bit5. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.